This morning represents, at least in my mind, a very significant milestone in our church. Today is the 1,000th time I've stood here to open the Word of God before you for the express purpose of expounding the Word of God. Over the years... I think a lot of that applause goes to yourself more than me. Over the years, I've certainly stood here more than a thousand times. There's been times I've introduced guest speakers. There's been times that I've led discussions like we've done on our spiritual family nights. I've taught combined Sunday schools from the spot. Yet, today is the 1,000th time that the Lord's allowed me to open the Word of God with you and, and to lead us to spend time together in a particular passage as the centerpiece of our services. As I think about that number, 1,000, I'm extremely grateful for your patience. As I said, I think the applaud goes to you as much as me. You've, you've shown great patience and kindness towards me. Uh, according to the records I've kept, and, and they're pretty detailed, I've, I preached 32 times as a seminary student and an assistant pastor. Uh, I know some of those early services were, um, shall I say, quite rough, so again, you were very gracious and patient to me. Then there were 45 sermons that I gave as the interim pastor in 2010 and 2011. Then there was one sermon I gave as the official candidate for the office of pastor. That, that sermon actually was 13 years ago today. Today is also the anniversary Sunday of when you voted to call me as, as your pastor. Since that day... This sermon today brings us to 922 additional sermons that I've been able to give as your pastor. Most, most of those have been parts of the series, as you know, as we've walked through several books of the Old Testament and New Testament. Um, I won't spend time listing all the books we've gone through in the last 13 years. As I think about it, though, really the, the celebration day is as much your perseverance that you've displayed over these 13 years as, as anything You've shown as a church family that you love the Word of God, that, that you want to hear the Word of God. And I've always tried to, to, each week, to do the work as your pastor to bring our focus to the, the Word of God so that we can see His grace, His work within our lives through His Word. You, you've certainly, as I said, have demonstrated your love for His Word over the years. I remember going back to the beginning of my ministry 13 years ago, I re remember telling you that I would anticipate most of my time as your pastor would be spent preparing to preach the word each week. Uh, I remember talking about it and saying that, that I did not think things like visiting you when you were in your homes, visiting you throughout the week and encouraging you, I did not think that was unimportant. I, I just believe that other people in the church can do that job. The job you were calling me to do was to prepare to provide a feast from the Word of God each week. So the bulk of my time, I would spend doing that. I, I still believe that. I, I still believe that is the primary purpose of, of my role in our church. Other people can do a lot of things, but I'm responsible for making sure that when we gather Sunday morning, we all can see what God has said in His, His Word. It's the re unique role that you've called me to, to fill. Now, there certainly have been times over the years that popped up where I have spent less time preparing than I would have liked. There's things that have pulled me away. I, I can think of one particular stretch of two weeks where we had three funerals in our church. 
that did not leave near as much time for preparation as I would like. There, there have been over the years occasional times of discouragement that I probably did not prepare as I should. I neglected that in my own little wallowing of self-pity. But overall, my primary focus has been preparing to open the Word each week, and I'm convinced that remains the most important thing that I can do for our church. As we go forward together, I pray that that nothing will change in this regard, that as a church, our, our love and hunger will continue to be for the Word of God. The overall point I want to make this morning, as we spend this time thinking about this milestone in our church, the overall point that I want to make sure that that we leave with is that the Word must remain the center of our ministry. If we want our ministry to to be a ministry that that glorifies our Savior, that that magnifies Jesus Christ, the, the Word must remain the centerpiece. It must remain the center of our ministry. Now, as you can see on the screen this morning, uh, before we got this one up, we're leaving our series through Psalms for a moment. We're, we're going to look at a different passage this morning. In my mind, it's a little bit like you, you follow a highway and all of a sudden you see a sign that says Scenic Overlook, and you take a little detour to go look at something else. Well, I want to do that this morning. I, I want to take us on an overlook that, that really gives us a great view of the Word of God. And, and what God does through his word. I want us to remain word-focused. So, so please open your Bibles this morning. Even if it's not your habit to normally do so, do it this morning for me. Open your Bible and, or pull it up on your app and, and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55 as we celebrate what God does through his word. This morning I'm going to read verses 8 through 11 of, of Isaiah 55, a, a passage that celebrates the, the word of God. God tells us through the prophet Isaiah, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For if the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For if the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. The word must remain the center of our ministry. These verses here in in Isaiah 55, they they do celebrate the Word of God. They're focusing on what God does. And and they also, as they focus on the Word of God, they they point to two reasons. Why it is so important that that we keep the Word in the center of our ministry. In in the first two verses, the the idea that we have that that comes across is that, that the Word accomplishes unexpected results. It accomplishes unexpected results. The, the point that, that God makes through the prophet here is, is that he does not do things the way we do things. What, what we might expect is, is totally different from what God will do. In fact, what we might expect is, is totally different from what God intends to do. What he does will likely astound us. Now, I did not read verse 7, 
But verse 7 makes clear that the ultimate distinction what God's making is, is in the area of, of moralities, the, the moral arena. God does not think as we think. He does not do as we do. God emphatically is not like men, or women for that matter, especially when it comes to moral nature. His thoughts are not like our thoughts. His ways are not like our ways. His ways are perfect, morally perfect. God has told us in his word that, that his ways are perfect. We also know that God accomplishes his ways through his word. He has told us that in his word. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We find that in Hebrews 4.12. God tells us that he does his work through his word. He accomplishes his work to achieve his purposes through his word. That's why God's word must be the center point of our lives. It must be the center point of our church. God's word is where his work is accomplished. You know, if we start relying on our own common sense, if we, if we use our own logic, if we use our own experience, if we bring our own thoughts to bear, we're, we're going to land somewhere very different from where God would have us land. That's true in both action and morality. Our character will never be what it should be if we rely on our own thinking about it. As I've said before, and I'm sure I'll say again, I don't know how many times I'll, I'll have people come in and say things like, I think, and my response is, but I don't care what you think. For that matter, I don't care what I think. And I like it when people correct me when I start saying what well, I think. Well, if I think, it doesn't matter. What does God say? We must allow God's word to govern both our lives and our ministry. God does things differently. He thinks differently. It's inevitable that the God's ways are different than ours. And the only way to provide or to, to, to miss the, the outcome of, of going astray is to keep God's word in the center. Of course, from what we see here in Isaiah, when we do that, when we keep God's word centered, unexpected results should not surprise us. Isn't that oxymoron? Unexpected results should not surprise us. Not in the least. After all, God says his ways and his thoughts are completely different than ours. How, how could we expect what God is going to do when he is different? We know from Ephesians 3.20 that God is the one who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. We cannot even imagine what God is able to do. The only way that we can have any hint of what God might do is when God tells us what he is going to do. Again, that means that we need to look into his word. We must look at his word if we want a hint of what God will do and what God will do to astound us. The word accomplishes unexpected results. 
Still, God does give a lot of hints in his word of what he is able to do through his word. That's why, while it's unexpected, it should not be a surprise. This morning, I want to just kind of single out two unexpected results that, that we have seen God do through his word in, in our church, and two things that we should continue to expect that God will do as we continue to keep his words in the center of our ministry. Yes, these are unexpected results, but they should not be surprising results. First, we should expect that the word brings condemnation and life. It does two things. It brings condemnation and life. The word of God is the source of spiritual life for many, but it's also the seal of spiritual death on some. Turn to 2 Corinthians 2. Look at verses 15 and 16 with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll flip around a little bit more than I normally do this morning. It'll keep you, you moving in the word of God. So 1 Corinthians 2 verses 15 and 16. Paul writes, For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? It is, as I've already said, in the word of God and through the word of God that we learn about the living word of God. We learn about Christ. The Word of God incarnate, as our one song describes him. Christ in the flesh, the Word of God living. Well, where do we see that? We, first and foremost, we turn to the Gospels. The Gospels tell us about Christ. We spent three years early in, in these last 13 years, early in, in my pastorate, looking through the Gospel of John on Sundays. We went there in 2011 and didn't finish until we were in 2014. By the time we worked our way through the Gospel of John, we were right at 100 sermons in, in that series. Through that, we learned a lot about Christ. In, in 2017, we went back to the Gospels and we looked at the Gospel of Mark Sprinting through that gospel in 17 sermons. It was a sprint because gospel of Mark is always immediately this, immediately that. So we immediately went through it in 17 weeks. Well, both gospels record the life of Christ. Christ is the one we seek to magnify with every sermon. Now, think back over the last 13 years if you've been here during that time. Some of you, I know, have come at different points within that, but think back over the years. During those years, we've seen people come to know Jesus Christ as Savior through our ministry together, but that ministry has always focused on the Word of God because that's where we find Christ. Even this morning, I read an email from Rosemary Brinkman. She's rejoicing that her son Dan, who's in the last days of his life, made a profession of faith. Because she's been telling him about Jesus Christ, pointing him to the word of God. We've rejoiced as we've watched people express their, their faith in, in Christ through baptism. It's exciting, whether it's a young child or, or an elderly adult, when we see somebody giving off the aroma of life, as Paul describes in these verses. That's a wonderful fragrance. We rejoice whenever we smell it, whenever it is among those, as Paul said, who are being saved. 
sadly, we've also smelled the aroma of death, haven't we, at times? We've watched the, the word of God as it's been rejected, as uh, the offer of salvation's been spurned. This is not an aroma we desire, but it's nonetheless one we observe from time to time. What I want us to note, though, this morning is, is to step back and, and think about how it is that the word of God is active in either case. The aroma of life or the aroma of death. And every time it's a surprise how the word works. We've seen people accept Christ as Savior who we totally did not expect would ever do so. From our human perspective, this is nothing but a, a rebellious rejecter. And yet we've seen them come to Christ. People who have rejected for years suddenly expected or accepted. People who we scarcely knew have accepted because we had no idea that God had been working in their life for years before we encountered them. On the flip side, we've watched people who knew the gospel message fully continue to reject it week after week after week. We've observed where there's essentially entire families joyfully magnifying Christ in their lives and yet there's one member who rejects. We've observed people over time who have appeared to be joyful believers and then suddenly proven themselves to be unbelievers by walking away entirely from the faith. Friends, we, we've seen both life and death. And we've seen enough to recognize that, that we have no control over either direction. It's God at work. It's God who does the unexpected. It is his word that, that brings condemnation and it is his word that brings life. All we can do is keep his word central. Keep it central to our ministry and pray that, that God will allow us to smell that rich fragrance of life over and over again. Anticipating that it will come in unexpected ways. The word accomplishes unexpected results. First, it brings condemnation and life. A second unexpected result that the word tells us we should anticipate is that the word creates unexpected servants. Unexpected servants. Flip back a few pages to an earlier passage. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read verses 8 through 10 as Paul gives us his own testimonial. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 8. Paul refers to himself, and last of all, as one untimely born, he being Jesus, appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but Christ. But Christ but the grace of God with me. Paul talks about the grace of God at work in him. He considers himself, as he said there, the most unexpected apostle imaginable. He was born at the wrong time. He was born in the wrong place to become one of the followers of Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry. And then, if you know Paul's life, when he came on the religious scene, he came on the scene by the man known for persecuting the, the, the early church of Christ. Rather than serving Christ, he was trying to find believers in Jesus and, and, and persecute them. 
And then unexpectedly, God called Paul to become one of the greatest servants the New Testament church has ever had. God showed his grace by allowing Paul to understand how the word of God pointed to the living word, Jesus Christ. Paul came to see that, that Jesus was the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. Now, I am certainly no Paul myself, but I, I still consider myself an unexpected servant. I know I've shared the, the story before with, with you, and those many of you lived alongside me d through this story. When, when Grace and I first began attending church here, we, we came only on Sunday mornings, and, and then only when it was convenient. But the pastor at that time, Pastor Albright, opened the Word of God every week, and he explained what God's thoughts were. And then God used his word to begin changing me. Grace and I have now been in this church 30 years. I, I'm an unexpected servant. Yet I'm not the only unexpected servant that, that the Lord's created through his word in our church. We have men in our church who have sat through many of the 1,000 sermons over the past years that they are now proving themselves to be servants by becoming serious students of the word themselves. Men who, who weekly teach in our Sunday school classes. Some of these men, as you know, are going on a trip here this fall to Brazil, or at least planning to do so, Lord willing. Go to Brazil for the purpose of teaching the churches that our missionaries have started there. Yet I'm quite sure as we look back, think just through who's teaching our Sunday school now, probably 13 years ago, none of them expected they'd be doing that. We have people in our church who sacrificially give time to encourage spiritual growth in others, meeting one-on-one -on -one for discipleship. We have people who give time and money to unseen aspects of our ministry. All these people are doing the things they're doing because the Word of God has transformed them over the years. We're all unexpected servants. The Word accomplishes unexpected results. It creates unexpected servants. Flipping back to Isaiah 55, which I lost by moving my, my cords, so bear with me. Isaiah 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For if the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The word accomplishes unexpected results. That's why the word must remain the center of our ministry. It must. We must keep it there. The word must remain the center of our ministry. As we continue into verses 10 and 11, we can see a, a second thing that the word accomplishes. Not only does it accomplish unexpected results, the word also accomplishes unstoppable results unstoppable. Verse 10, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. 
What a great picture these two verses create in our minds. We, we know how precious rain and snow are to, to the development of lush vegetation, don't we? Just Thursday this week, I was talking to my dad in North Dakota, and, and, and he was telling me about how little snow they've had this winter. Normally, by this point in North Dakota, my dad's house has a huge drift in the front yard between the, the window of the house and the street. And he was telling me that instead of a drift of snow, he has grass showing this year. It's, it's the least snow he's ever seen that they could remember. And he was talking about how desperate things are going to be for the, the farmers unless uh, moisture shows up between now and the springtime sowing of the grain because the, the, the water has not come through the snow. God uses this idea here of moisture in these verses. Snow and rain cannot fall without providing water to the ground. That, that moisture that's necessary producing crops for, for both he reminds us here immediate food and for seed for future f- food that can grow. This week in my personal Bible reading, I, I happened to be taken through Genesis chapter 47. And in one of the chapters, that's one of the chapters that, that talks about how Joseph was sent down to Egypt to preserve people during the famine. And, and it's part of that chap- the chapter series that talks about how jo- Joseph, I'll get this right, Jonah, Joseph saved up up seed, he saved up grain so that people would survive the seven years. But what caught my eye was chapter 47, verse 23, where the people come to ask to buy grain. And, and Joseph says he's giving them grain not only to eat, but then he specifically states, and here is seed for you that you may sow the land. Not only is he giving them food for their table now, he, he's giving them what they need for future crops. Because future crops are just as important as current crops. Well, God takes that image and, and uses his word in the picture here to liken it to the rain that ensures both current crops and future crops. Current food and future food. As we hear God's word, it cannot help but achieve God's intended purpose. And and those purposes involve both immediate needs and and needs that will come far in the future. It will never fail to accomplish what God intends for it to accomplish. It will not, he says, return to me empty. Or as we probably most note from the King James, it will not return void. The word of God produces results that are unstoppable. Again, I want to just single out a couple of the many results that the Word of God accomplishes. A couple things that are unstoppable that should really excite us. One, the the Word transforms people. Transforming people, changing people, making believers like Christ. The, The Word falls on people. It comes dripping down. If the image we have here of the rain falling in Isaiah, it falls on people so that they are changed. Think about the well-known verses from 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so the man of God may be, if you know the King James, perfect, right? Adequate is how we translate in the New American Standard. Equipped for every good work. It's the idea of transforming people so they... That we become what God intends us to be. That our character will be conformed to the character of Christ. 
Transforming people is one of the unstoppable results of the Word of God. It's God's intent behind His Word, so therefore nothing can hinder it. All we have to do to, to prove out this truth from an evidential standpoint is look around us this morning. Look at the people sitting in this room. And as you look around, you see evidence of the transforming work of God. For that matter, if you know Jesus is Savior, all you have to do is look at yourself in the mirror. Sometimes we say, looking at ourselves is, is unpleasant. No, it should be astounding. Because as you look at yourself in the mirror, you see someone being transformed by the unstoppable work of God. As I sat under the word of God year after year in this place, God changed me. And the same is true for you as well. Granted, some people are changed more than others, but, but the fact is that's largely due to the fact that some of us allowed have, uh, to have greater amounts of the word of God falling upon us than others. You know, my dad was always jealous as we grew up for some farmers that lived just a few miles away from us. There was a section with five to ten miles from us. There was a, a stretch that seemed like rain always went through that little narrow path. Guess how their crops compared to ours? As more rain fell, the crops were greater. As more word falls on you, the transformation is greater. The word is effective. It transforms people. The Apostle John writes in, in the third letter, that short little letter, 3 John, verse 4, he says, I have no greater joy than this, to hear my children walking in the truth. After 13 years and a thousand sermons, I often have the privilege of feeling this joy myself. One of the greatest joys that I have is, is when I hear one of you express a, a theological idea to someone else as, as something you believe. I, I have the joy because I've been here long enough now where sometimes I can remember back to a time when, when you did not believe what you just stated as your belief. Or maybe I can remember when you at least did not understand what you were just stating. Yeah, I can remember when, and sometimes when you were first struck by that truth in a sermon because after the sermon you share with me in the lobby how God impacted you through the word and you see something you've never saw before. And yet then I get the privilege of standing around listening and I realize that, that what had been a new theological idea or a theological understanding at some time in your life now has become so woven into your, your thinking it's, it's just part of who you are. It's how you think, and you just express it, this is the way things are. You're simply talking about what you know about God. You're walking in the truth. God's word has transformed you. The, the confidence that we have from Isaiah is that as long as we are where the word continues to fall, we can rest assured that it will continue to transform us and those around us. That the transformation is unstoppable because it is one of the purposes God has for sending his word. My goal is simply to ensure that sermon after sermon is God's word that continues to fall from this pulpit. I don't know how many times over the 13 years I've stated that I've got the easiest job 
in the world and at the same time the hardest job in the world. It's easy because I don't have to create anything. It's already been given to me. It's all here. This is the only thing I have to give you, so I don't have to be creative at all. What's hard is that I better make sure everything I say lines up to what's here because I'll give an account for everything I speak. God's word transforms people. That is the first unstoppable result of what the word accomplishes. A second one that I want us to recognize is that not only does the word transform people, the word then builds Christ's church. It builds Christ's church. It doesn't transform us individually alone. It, it also works in us collectively. God builds his church through his word. Remember, when, when Jesus was talking to Peter in, in Matthew 16, he was asking Peter and, and the other disciples about who people understood that he was. In, in fact, let's turn there. Let's go to Matthew 16. Let's turn there so we can see these words ourselves. Jesus asks, is asking his disciples, who do people say they am? And they give a number of different answers about who he is. Different thoughts about Jesus. But then he turns to the disciples and directs the question to them, asking them specifically in verse 15, who do you say I am? And in verse 16, we see Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I know that we have turned this passage several times over the 1,000 sermons that I've preached. Most of you, I'm sure, recognize Jesus is doing a wordplay here in verse 18 with, with Peter's name and the Greek word for a rock. He, he's using this wordplay to, to indicate that he is going to build his church on the statement that Peter has just made, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That confession is the foundation of the church. The word of God consistently proclaims that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the promised Messiah. He is the one who gave his life so that, that men and women could have their sins forgiven. We could do nothing about our, our sin. Our sin had separated us from God, and the only thing a holy God could accept was a holy person. And we had lost that years ago. We're born with a sin nature and we sin from the earliest childhood onward. We are sinners. So we could never be holy. So God sent his son, the holy son of God, to give his life on our behalf. To die in our place. Because God would, as he had taught throughout the whole Old Testament sacrificial system, he would accept a substitute for the one who owed the penalty. Jesus died as our substitute. So that the moment we accept Jesus as our Savior, when we ask God to, to take his death in our place, we find forgiveness. 
That is why his church is built on Jesus because Jesus is a substitute for each one of us individually and as we come together we are the body of Christ accepted by God through faith in Jesus Christ as holy. God declares us holy because Christ is holy. The word of God consistently proclaims that Jesus gave his life so that our sins could be forgiven. Becoming the church of the living Son of God. I hope all of us here this morning believe that. If not, come talk to me. I would love to show you in the Word of God more fully how you can believe in Jesus as Savior. For every one of the thousand sermons that I preached in this building, the phrase, joyfully magnifying Christ, has been up there above me. That has been above this platform. I, there may have been, I remember one sermon I preached when we were in the, the, the gym because if you remember we had a flood here, about six inches of water down on the front of our auditorium. So that Sunday it was not above me, we were in the gym. But it was still here, above this platform. That's our goal, our purpose. Jesus is the one forming his church. He is doing that to, to display his own glory. We are here as First Baptist Church of Sterling Heights to display the glory of Jesus Christ, to magnify him. I truly believe that, that because we have been proclaiming the word of God for the past 13 years, our church is fulfilling its purpose. Are we fulfilling it as, as thoroughly as we could? Probably we have many ways we could be, be better, but we are stronger than we were because of the word of God. We are being built because we have the word. But the simple fact that Jesus hasn't returned tells us we still have work to do. We are not done. We must continue to seek the building up of his church. And that means we need to continue proclaiming his word. We must proclaim his word confident that his word will not fail. Because his word cannot fail. The, the results of the word of God falling to the ground are unstoppable. We must ensure that it's the word that continues to fall so that our church, Christ's church, is built. The word builds Christ's church. That's the second unstoppable result that the word accomplishes. The word must remain the center of our ministry. It must. The word accomplishes unexpected results. The word accomplishes unstoppable results. It is the word that does the work. Over the, the thousand years and the past 13 years that I've been preaching here, we've seen evidence of, of, of both the unexpected and the unstoppable results of the word. More significantly, though, this morning, we've seen the guarantee of both of these points from the word itself. Isaiah 55 gives us this truth. And again, I took my ribbon out. You would think I would learn. Isaiah 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, or your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For if the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For if the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth, and making it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, 
so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. I believe it's fitting for us to celebrate God's grace on us that has allowed the constant proclamation of his word for so many years. I'm not the first pastor to proclaim the word of God from this pulpit. It's been that way from the very beginning. The Lord has allowed me the privilege of being with you for a thousand sermons, and yet the past is only a foretaste of the future. The word of God must remain the center of our ministry. That must not only be the main lesson for our sermon today, but that must be the driving principle for our future. The challenge that I want to, to, to place before each of us this morning is that we would examine ourselves. That we would determine how deeply do we really believe this truth. The word must remain the center of our ministry. Do I believe it personally? Do we believe it corporately? Do we believe that the word must remain the center of our ministry? If we do, then we will commit to making the word the center of our lives. We will study it. We will listen to it. We will prioritize it. We will obey it. We will cherish it. And we will proclaim it. Because we will love it. Then and only then, can we have confidence that the word will remain the center of our ministry? Let's pray. Father, we come to you with hearts that are astounded and joy-filled that we have your word, that you have revealed yourself to us, that you have given it to us so that we can know your thoughts. We do recognize as we look into your word that your thoughts are so different than your thoughts, that your ways are completely different than our ways. We would have never conceived of sending our own son to die for the needs of those who were in rebellion against us. And yet, Father, that is what you did. We would have never conceived of building up the church of Jesus Christ by using sinful people to proclaim it if they point to your gracious forgiveness in their own lives. And yet that is what you are doing. So Father, our prayer this morning is that you would fill us with your word. That you would fill us with a love for your word. That we would make your word the center of it. Father, I do thank you for the, the privilege you've given me personally to proclaim your word so many times in this place. But Father, may the focus be always upon your word and not the one who proclaims it. Because it is your word that does the unexpected. It is your word that does the unstoppable. It is your word that magnifies your son. So it is your word that we seek to proclaim. Father, help all of us to make your word the center of our lives so that Christ is magnified more and more. It's in his name we pray. Amen.